you a reasonably good Christian life, God is going to keep major tragedy at bay. You think that's true? Maybe you wouldn't say it overtly like that, but I think tacitly in, in, in many Christians' lives. If we are fairly good Christians and we are okay in the major spiritual disciplines and we pray and we read our Bible a reasonable amount, God is going to put this protection around us and, and our friends and family are going to be safe and our finances will be reasonably secure. I don't think anyone expects a, a hassle-free life completely. It's not going to be perfect. We understand that. But, but surely God is under some obligation to keep the really bad stuff at bay. Surely he is under some obligation to, to really protect his children from the worst that life can throw at us. And then something goes wrong. Then we get the call from the doctor with the test results that suddenly turn everything upside down in an instant. Then your spouse sits down with you and says, I can't do this anymore. I can't take this marriage anymore and I'm leaving. Then you get that phone call in the middle of the night with the worst news you could ever have imagined. Or your boss sits you down at work and explains to you that the company's making forced cutbacks and your job is up for redundancy with minimum payout. Things can be going so well. You can be cruising along and then in an instant it all just starts to fall apart. Or maybe it's the ongoing struggle of, of a debilitating health issue that you're experiencing or someone in your family is experiencing that's just not getting any better. It's not improving. You're not seeing progress, test after test, day after day, year after year. It's not going anywhere. Maybe it's an ongoing health issue that one of your children is struggling with and it just erodes your spirit to see this thing continuing to affect their life and their well-being. These things, friends, they rock us to the core, don't they? They shake our faith and they just bring our whole world crashing down around us so much of the time. And, and if we already are carrying around this assumption that life is going to be relatively easy, that God is somehow obligated to protect us, to provide for us, to always answer every prayer, then we get shaken ten times as much and sometimes in a way that our faith never recovers from. Sometimes we, we feel like God must be punishing us, that we've done something wrong, that somehow we're under this divine wrath. And, and, and how could God let this happen? And where is God? And, and, and does he even care? And is he even paying attention to the struggles that I'm going through, that my family and my kids are going through right now? Some of you are feeling that way this morning. And those emotions are perfectly normal. That anger, that doubt, those questions, that hurt, that grief, that loss is perfectly natural. It is part of what it is to be human, to feel that stuff. It's how you know you're alive in the middle of the brokenness and the, and the wreckage of this present world. That's totally normal. And I think the reason Jesus gives us these words and puts it in such stark terms that sound so uncomfortable is because he wants us to know. And he, say, he says in a whole chapter what really takes just three words, life is hard. It's hard. For Christians living in the first century, it was going to be hard. For Christians in the 21st century, it's going to be hard. And being a Christian doesn't immunize you from that. Being a follower of Jesus does not put you in some little insular vacuum cap bubble 
where the worst that the world can throw at you is never going to happen. It doesn't inoculate you from the, what the world is going to bring across your path. It simply doesn't keep that stuff at bay. In fact, sometimes precisely because you are a Christian, it's going to be worse. This is what Jesus explains to his disciples. It's because of your testimony you're going to be dragged in front of these councils. And you're going to give witness to me. Sometimes it's even harder because of the faith and the moral compass that we carry around as followers of Jesus. Now, I know you're really glad you came to church this morning, aren't you? I mean, this is going pretty well, isn't it? Shall we just take a breath and just remind ourselves of how good life really is? <laughs> I know this isn't really the message that you thought you might hear when you come into church and we want to be picked up and we want to be lifted up and you might be thinking, aren't Christians supposed to be optimists? What happened to that? You know, are we supposed to go through our life expecting the very worst? Are we really supposed to expect that everything's always going to be bad and just expect danger around every corner? Well, I think there is a difference between optimism and naivety. And naivety is when you say, I expect everything to go well. Optimism is when you say, I don't expect everything to go well, but I'm going to make the most of whatever happens. And I'm going to put everything that happens in the most positive light, and I'm going to trust God through everything that happens. But it's certainly not the expectation that everything is just going to fall into your lap, and everything you touch will turn to gold. That's naivety. I think the, the Scriptures call us to be, to be optimists, but realistic optimists. Not naive idealists but realistic optimists who understand that life is hard because we follow one who stood on the Mount of Olives 2,000 years ago and told us stuff like this will happen. Stuff like this is going to characterize your life. And yet, as we become realistic and yet optimistic, then we're best placed, I think, to practice what Jesus talks about in verse 14, where he says, everyone who stands firm to the end will be saved. That word, those words stand firm, some of your translations might say persevere or, or endure. The Greek word behind that is hupomone. And there's a couple of ways this verse, this word can be translated in your Bibles. One way is uh, persevere, endure, stand firm, be steadfast, that, that kind of thing. That's most English translations carry that meaning. But there is another meaning that hupomone can have. And it's a, a meaning that's found often in the Greek version of the Old Testament. When this word crops up, it's not usually translated persevere or endure or stand firm. It's usually translated wait. Interesting, isn't it? It doesn't sound like that would fit at all, but it's usually translated wait upon. I'll give you an example. In Psalm 27, verse 14, the psalmist says, wait for the Lord. It's the same word in the, in the Greek version of the Old Testament. Wait, hupomone, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I love that because it changes the whole flavor of what Jesus is saying. Often you can hear the word stand firm and it just sounds to you like you've got to try and clench your fists, grit your teeth, dig your heels in and suck it up. And honestly, for many of you that are being crushed by the weight of life right now, that's about the last thing you need to hear. Just to put another burden on your already weary shoulders of what God expects you to do. And most of the time, we just don't have the strength to stand much longer. But what would happen if you came back to Mark 13 and translated hupomone as wait upon the Lord? It would read like this. Those who wait upon the Lord to the end will be saved. And suddenly the whole emphasis is not of me trying to summon the strength and summon the guts and summon the courage to be something that I just don't feel like I can be right now. 
suddenly the whole emphasis is on me just throwing myself into the arms of God. Me just collapsing into the arms of the one who gave his life for me. I love the words of the song by Third Day that says, please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away to you. What does it mean in your situation, in the birth pains of life that you're experiencing right now, whether it's economic, whether it's uh, health-related, whether it's relational? What does it mean to wait upon God for you? Because this is not just as some ethereal, spiritual, fuzzy concept that works here but doesn't work out there. This has got to take root in the gritty reality of everyday life. What does it mean for you tomorrow when you open up your email and there are the spreadsheets there of your sales performance for the last three months and it's a 30% drop and that has consequences for your job? What does it mean then to wait upon the Lord? Or is waiting upon the Lord something that will work everywhere except in the workplace? I think in those moments it means that instead of simply trying to instinctively fix things or worry about things or spiral downwards in our minds and our hearts and our emotions, we choose to direct our minds to God. We choose to center ourselves on the goodness and the love and the grace of God, even right there in your office, even right there in front of your monitor, even right there in front of Microsoft Excel, to actually spend a minute coming to the Lord and grounding yourself again in His providence, in His sovereignty, in His perfect plan. What does it mean for you when you've been trying to get pregnant for years and years and years and it's just not happening? What does it mean for you to wait upon the Lord? It means, again, choosing not to listen to the voices that tell you that that's failure, that that's the end of the world, that that's an inferior life, and that it's give up and forget about God. But choosing to listen to the voice of truth, choosing to listen to the scriptures, and the verse that says, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. It means we choose to listen to God's voice rather than our own voices and the thousands of voices that run around in our head. It means that when you lie in bed at night, you don't let your mind run down the worst case scenario uh, trails and just keep running the what if, what if, and how bad could it possibly get. It means that we take control of our minds and we turn them towards the Lord and we center ourselves on His truth. We remind ourselves and we speak it to our mind again of His grace and His goodness and his sovereignty over history, that when our heart is overwhelmed, the psalmist says, it is you who knows my way. Those are the truths, friends. It means that we choose in those moments to agree with God about our situation, even if it means agreeing against our own mind. It means that we choose to take God's perspective on the situation, even if it's the furthest thing from our own reality. And the Bible has a wonderful promise for those who choose to do this, for those who choose to engage in this practice of hupomone, of waiting on the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who wait on the Lord, same word again, hupomone in the Greek version, hupomone, those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength and they will rise up with wings like eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not become tired. Did you, see, did you see what it didn't say? 
It doesn't say those who wait upon the Lord are always going to keep their jobs. It doesn't say those who wait upon the Lord are always going to keep their investments secure. It doesn't say those who wait upon the Lord will always uh, have healthy relationships and never experience a close friend turning their back on you and slating you behind your back after years and years of trust. The Bible doesn't promise that to us. I wish it did. I wish I could tell you that. I wish that was the message I had this morning. But it doesn't promise any of those things. What it does promise is those who wait on the Lord will what? Gain new strength. They'll gain new strength. They'll rise up with wings like eagles. And the promise is this, that as you choose to wait on the Lord, not just waiting for Him to fix things, but rather than just trying to manage yourself out of the problem, as you choose to center your heart, your mind, your emotions on God and His Word, then the wind of the Holy Spirit will create this uplift under your wings. And you will rise up with wings like eagles and soar over your circumstances. Doesn't mean God's going to take the problems away. Doesn't mean everything's going to be better tomorrow. That could get worse. But it means that you now see it with a new perspective. It means that you now see it with the eyes of heaven. You don't see your problems with these earthly eyes where these huge giants look so formidable. And redundancy just seems like the end of the world. And you feel like you've, after being knocked back and back and back and back for job interview after job interview after job interview, you're just losing morale. Some of you are in this boat right now and you just don't even feel like you've got the guts and the courage to go for one more interview because nothing's coming together for you. It means we start seeing those situations from the eyes and the vantage point of heaven. And we look down on them rather than up at them. Because we're choosing to take God's, put God's lens on and see this through divine eyes, the eyes of faith. We see it through God's, God's eyes and we see, see it from the perspective of the one who holds history in his hands. See it from the perspective of the God who breathed out stars, God who is a history maker. And we see these problems are nothing in the scope of eternity. And we see that regardless of the birth pains that life throws at us, God is going to guide our steps. He's going to hold us in his arms, and we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We really are. You believe that? Some of you are having a hard time believing it this morning, I know, but you're going to be okay. God loves you. He's holding you in his arms right now, and he's going to carry you through, and he invites you, and he encourages you to wait upon the Lord. I don't know what birth pains of life you're experiencing this morning. But as we take communion in a few moments, we're going to practice this, this discipline of waiting on God and actually stilling ourselves and actually centering ourselves and actually even breathing a little bit slower than we normally do and getting a bit more oxygen and centering and grounding ourselves on God and just choosing to listen to Him speaking over us His word of grace, His word of love, His word of provision and His word of control, even in the midst of chaos. I don't know what it is that you're going through this morning. Some of you are facing really tough economic times, financial times. Some of you are facing relationship meltdown right now. Close friend, spouse, family member. Some of you are facing major health issues or issues in your immediate family, people who are really struggling right now. Some of you are just coping and trying to cope and not coping with loss, just being robbed of someone close to you. And just feeling the weight of that, that darkness that just threatens to suffocate you. And friends, all we can do in these times is exactly what Jesus invited us to do 2,000 years ago, to choose again to wait on the Lord.
Not to expect him to solve every problem, but to wait on him. And we know, as we think about these issues, that Jesus reminds us these are part of what it is to be a Christian and part of what it is to be human in this present age. It's not abnormal. You're not the only one in the world who's struggling with it. It's not divine punishment. God's not angry at you. This is the birth pains that Jesus talked about. This is the age of sorrows. And we know that as we wait upon the Lord and we look to Him one day, these birth pains are going to give way to new life. And that's the hope, that one day, the Scriptures are clear, God is going to usher in a new age beyond this one where there will be no more tears, no more mourning, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more redundancy, no more cancer. No more funerals. Because the old order of things will have passed away. And all things will be made new. Certainly not the expectation that everything is just going to fall into your lap. And everything you touch will turn to gold. That's naivety. I think the, the scriptures call us to be, to be optimists, but realistic optimists. Not naive idealists but realistic optimists who understand that life is hard because we follow one who stood on the Mount of Olives 2,000 years ago and told us stuff like this will happen. Stuff like this is going to characterize your life. And yet, as we become realistic and yet optimistic, then we're best placed, I think, to practice what Jesus talks about in verse 14, where he says, everyone who stands firm to the end will be saved. That word, those words stand firm, some of your translations might say persevere or, or endure. The Greek word behind that is hupomone. And there's a couple of ways this, verse, this word can be translated in your Bibles. One way is uh, persevere, endure, stand firm, be steadfast, that, that kind of thing. That's most English translations carry that meaning. But there is another meaning that hupomone can have. And it's a, a meaning that's found often in the Greek version of the Old Testament. When this word crops up, it's not usually translated persevere or endure or stand firm, it's usually translated wait. Interesting, isn't it? It doesn't sound like that would fit at all, but it's usually translated wait upon. I'll give you an example. In Psalm 27, verse 14, the psalmist says, wait for the Lord. It's the same word in the, in the Greek version of the Old Testament. Wait, hupomone, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I love that because it changes the whole flavor of what Jesus is saying. Often you can hear the word stand firm and it just sounds to you like you've got to try and clench your fists, grit your teeth, dig your heels in and suck it up. And honestly, for many of you that are being crushed by the weight of life right now, that's about the last thing you need to hear. Just to put another burden on your already weary shoulders of what God expects you to do. And most of the time, we just don't have the strength to stand much longer. But what would happen if you came back to Mark 13 and translated hupomone as wait upon the Lord? It would read like this. Those who wait upon the Lord to the end will be saved. And suddenly the whole emphasis is not of me trying to summon the strength and summon the guts and summon the courage to be something that I just don't feel like I can be right now. Suddenly the whole emphasis is on me just throwing myself into the arms of God.
me just collapsing into the arms of the one who gave his life for me. I love the words of the song by Third Day that says, please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away to you. What does it mean in your situation, in the birth pains of life that you're experiencing right now, whether it's economic, whether it's uh, health-related, whether it's relational, what does it mean to wait upon God for you? Because this is not just as some ethereal, spiritual, fuzzy concept that works here but doesn't work out there. This has got to take root in the gritty reality of everyday life. What does it mean for you tomorrow when you open up your email and there are the spreadsheets there of your sales performance for the last three months and it's a 30% drop and that has consequences for your job? What does it mean then to wait upon the Lord? Or is waiting upon the Lord something that will work everywhere except in the workplace? I think in those moments it means that instead of simply trying to instinctively fix things or worry about things or spiral downwards in our minds and our hearts and our emotions, we choose to direct our minds to God. We choose to center ourselves on the goodness and the love and the grace of God. Even right there in your office, even right there in front of your monitor, even right there in front of Microsoft Excel, to actually spend a minute coming to the Lord and grounding yourself again in His providence, in His sovereignty, in His perfect plan. What does it mean for you when you've been trying to get pregnant for years and years and years and it's just not happening? What does it mean for you to wait upon the Lord? It means, again, choosing not to listen to the voices that tell you that that's failure, that that's the end of the world, that that's an inferior life, and that it's give up and forget about God. But choosing to listen to the voice of truth, choosing to listen to the scriptures, and the verse that says, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. It means we choose to listen to God's voice rather than our own voices and the thousands of voices that run around in our head. It means that when you lie in bed at night, you don't let your mind run down the worst case scenario uh, trails and just keep running the what if, what if, and how bad could it possibly get. It means that we take control of our minds and we turn them towards the Lord and we center ourselves on His truth. We remind ourselves and we speak it to our mind again of His grace and His goodness and his sovereignty over history, that when our heart is overwhelmed, the psalmist says, it is you who knows my way. Those are the truths, friends. It means that we choose in those moments to agree with God about our situation, even if it means agreeing against our own mind. It means that we choose to take God's perspective on the situation, even if it's the furthest thing from our own reality. And the Bible has a wonderful promise for those who choose to do this, for those who choose to engage in this practice of hupomone, of waiting on the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who wait on the Lord, same word again, hupomone in the Greek version, hupomone, those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength and they will rise up with wings like eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not become tired. Did you, see, did you see what it didn't say? It doesn't say those who wait upon the Lord are always going to keep their jobs. It doesn't say those who wait upon the Lord 
are always going to keep their investments secure. It doesn't say those who wait upon the Lord will always uh, have healthy relationships and never experience a close friend turning their back on you and slating you behind your back after years and years of trust. The Bible doesn't promise that to us. I wish it did. I wish I could tell you that. I wish that was the message I had this morning, but it doesn't promise any of those things. What it does promise is those who wait on the Lord will what? Gain new strength. They'll gain new strength. They'll rise up with wings like eagles. And the promise is this, that as you choose to wait on the Lord, not just waiting for Him to fix things, but rather than just trying to manage yourself out of the problem, as you choose to center your heart, your mind, your emotions on God and His Word, then the wind of the Holy Spirit will create this uplift under your wings. And you will rise up with wings like eagles and soar over your circumstances. Doesn't mean God's going to take the problems away. Doesn't mean everything's going to be better tomorrow. That could get worse. But it means that you now see it with a new perspective. It means that you now see it with the eyes of heaven. You don't see your problems with these earthly eyes where these huge giants look so formidable. And redundancy just seems like the end of the world. And you feel like you've, after being knocked back and back and back and back for job interview after job interview after job interview, you're just losing morale. Some of you are in this boat right now and you just don't even feel like you've got the guts and the courage to go for one more interview because nothing's coming together for you. It means we start seeing those situations from the eyes and the vantage point of heaven. And we look down on them rather than up at them. Because we're choosing to take God's, put God's lens on and see this through divine eyes, the eyes of faith. We see it through God's, God's eyes and we see, see it from the perspective of the one who holds history in his hands. See it from the perspective of the God who breathed out stars, God who is a history maker. And we see these problems are nothing in the scope of eternity. And we see that regardless of the birth pains that life throws at us, God is going to guide our steps. He's going to hold us in his arms, and we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We really are. You believe that? Some of you are having a hard time believing it this morning, I know, but you're going to be okay. God loves you. He's holding you in his arms right now, and he's going to carry you through, and he invites you, and he encourages you to wait upon the Lord. I don't know what birth pains of life you're experiencing this morning. But as we take communion in a few moments, we're going to practice this, this discipline of waiting on God and actually stilling ourselves and actually centering ourselves and actually even breathing a little bit slower than we normally do and getting a bit more oxygen and centering and grounding ourselves on God and just choosing to listen to Him speaking over us His word of grace, His word of love, His word of provision and His word of control, even in the midst of chaos. I don't know what it is that you're going through this morning. Some of you are facing really tough economic times, financial times. Some of you are facing relationship meltdown right now. Close friend, spouse, family member. Some of you are facing major health issues or issues in your immediate family, people who are really struggling right now. Some of you are just coping and trying to cope and not coping with loss, just being robbed of someone close to you. And just feeling the weight of that, that darkness that just threatens to suffocate you. And friends, all we can do in these times is exactly what Jesus invited us to do 2,000 years ago, to choose again to wait on the Lord. Not to expect Him to solve every problem, but to wait on Him. And we know, as we think about these issues, 
that Jesus reminds us these are part of what it is to be a Christian and part of what it is to be human in this present age. It's not abnormal. You're not the only one in the world who's struggling with it. It's not divine punishment. God's not angry at you. This is the birth pains that Jesus talked about. This is the age of sorrows. And we know that as we wait upon the Lord and we look to Him one day, these birth pains are going to give way to new life. And that's the hope, that one day, the Scriptures are clear, God is going to usher in a new age beyond this one where there will be no more tears, no more mourning, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more redundancy, no more cancer, no more funerals. Because the old order of things will have passed away and all things will be made new. Thank you.